Good morning. You can be seated. How are you doing today? Whether you're here in the house or whether you're listening to podcasts or streaming live, I'm glad you're here. If you're a guest of ours, well, buckle up. You showed up on a day where we're talking about the 10 plagues of Exodus. And man, I tell you what, it's hard to go around the nation just find a church just preaching plagues, you know, things like that. So you're in a good place. And here's, the, here's been my challenge all week is to have, first of all, some fun with this, but also what, what in there um, does God have for us today? Like, what is it about these plagues that could have anything to do with what God's doing in my life and wants to do in your life today? That's, that's, what we're gonna, that's the struggle. That's what I've been working on all week. And I, I, I was, I've been praying through this. This morning, God gave me some, just some more insight. And so I'm excited to preach this to you. And hopefully by the end, the Holy Spirit has given you something where God has revealed himself in a new way to you. Let's get started. First of all, there's only one plague. The rest, the word for plague um, is actually the word for strike or touch. These are, the, these are the ten times that God strikes or touches Egypt and Pharaoh. Now, one of them is a plague, but we refer to them as the ten plagues. And for those of you who might not know, um, this is back when Moses was saying, let my people go, because um, the children of Israel, God's people, were in slavery for generations after generation. And God says, I'm going to show my power through these ten strikes, these ten plagues, to show Egypt who I am. Now, now why the plagues? Why? Well, God tells us why. He actually gives us insight. Seven different times during these ten plagues, God says, so that you will know that I am Yahweh. Pharaoh, in the, near the first of the story, says, who is Yahweh? Like, who is this God? I haven't heard of this God. And God says, by the end of this, you're going to know. Seven times. Seven is the, the Hebrew word, the Hebrew number for completion or being filled up. And so the ten plagues, in some ways, they bring the completion or they fill up this understanding of who the true God is. Through this, we're going to know who God is. And, and actually, not only just Pharaoh in Egypt... But the children of Israel have been in slavery for generation after generation. And we have read in other places that they had actually adopted the Egyptian gods. They had forgotten Yahweh. They had forgotten God. And so God says, not only will Pharaoh and Egypt know who the true God is, but my people, they will know who I am. You will know who I am. He is, what we have here is the, a God who in Genesis made a covenant with Abraham. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. And we're going to study today how God is coming to deliver and rescue his people. He is going to make himself known by his power and his might. It's important to see during this time that Egypt, is their, their culture, their government, their leader is completely anti the way that God wants us to live. They don't know God. They don't know his name. They worship a pantheon of gods and goddesses that require all sorts of pagan practices. They've fallen far into this cult. And so far that Pharaoh, remember, he ordered that any baby born a boy who's a slave be thrown into the Nile. Just, just killing of these innocent children. That was his royal divine decree. And when innocent children are killed by a government agenda, it says a lot about the soul of the nation. Pharaoh deputizes all of his people to do this, and they do. So they are deeply in this. God is coming down against a force of humanity that has fallen deeply into oppressive tactics, into evil practices, into dark spirituality, and God wants to bring justice as he draws his people out. So we're going to have a lot of reading today, a lot of text. I want you to follow along with us on the screen or in your Bible. But we're going to go through these plagues and see what God is doing. The first strike, 
God touches Pharaoh in judgment. Verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes down to the river. Stand on the bank, bank of the Nile and meet him there. Like Pharaoh would go down in the morning, enjoy a, a nice walk, and he would go down to the Nile. Um, he's the god of, with the influence over the Nile. And there's Moses waiting for him. Be sure to take that staff that turned into a snake. And then announce to him, the Lord, the God of he- the Hebrews, has sent me to tell you, let my people go so that they can go worship me in the wilderness. Now, until now, you have refused to listen to him. So this is what Yahweh, the Lord, says. I will show you that I am Yahweh. Look, I will strike the water of the Nile with this staff in my hand. The river will turn to blood. The fish will die. The river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink any water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and raise it. Remember, Aaron was acting on behalf and speaking on behalf of Moses. He was so insecure at the burning bush. He said, please send my brother, send somebody else. So there's Aaron to help him. Tell Aaron, take your staff and raise it over your, raise your hand over the waters of Egypt. All its canals, rivers, ponds, and reservoirs, turn all the water to blood. Everywhere in Egypt, the water will turn into blood. Even the water stored in wooden bowls and stone pots. And so Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. As Pharaoh and all of his officials watched, they're early in the morning, they're watching. Aaron raises the staff, strikes the water of the Nile, and suddenly, before their very eyes, it turns to blood. The fish, the river died. The river became so foul they couldn't drink of it. There was blood everywhere throughout the land of Egypt. But again, the magicians, and the word here should actually be like priests, because they're not just like magicians doing card tricks. These are the priests of the gods and goddesses of Egypt. So the priests of Egypt used their magic, their dark arts, and they too turned water into blood so they could copy this. So Pharaoh saw this and his heart remained hard. He refused to listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had predicted. Pharaoh returned to his palace and put the whole thing out of his mind. Didn't even think about it. Then all the Egyptians dug along the riverbank to find water they couldn't drink from the Nile. Seven days this goes on. Time passes from the when the Lord struck it. So in, la- in round one, God gets right to the point. The Nile is the lifeline of the Egyptian agriculture and therefore the national well-being. Do some research into the Nile flooding and you will see just how much it means to them and their culture, this river. In fact, it's, if it's their lifeline, Jesus says, I, God says, I'm going to turn your lifeline into blood. Now, this is the very place where Pharaoh has shed innocent blood, symbolically. This is the very place, this is ground zero, where they would throw the babies into the river. And God says, this is where we're going to start, right here. Now, Pharaoh is believed to have spiritual authority over the Nile. This is Pharaoh's home turf. He has home field advantage in his mind. It's also a direct attack at some gods of the Egyptian pantheon. First of all, Happy, we've talked about him, H-A-P-I, the god Happy, the god of the Nile flood. We have a picture of him. Also, Kanum, the god over the source of the Nile and the god of creation. And the great Osiris, it was said that the Nile was his very bloodstream. And Osiris's bloodstream gets turned to blood in the name of Yahweh. The Nile is the ultimate source for the Egyptians. It's their source of life. Happy is the source of the fullness of their life. It makes me wonder and ask, at what places am I seeking life and fullness apart from God? Where am I seeking happiness from happy, so to speak? A false source. Now, now we see here that these priests of Egypt, they duplicate this. They, they copy um, this act, but on a smaller scale, and it was very temporary and short-sighted. 
And there are things of this world that give us happiness. Things of this world that give us happiness and security and significance. But just like the priest's magic, it's always fleeting. It's always temporary. It's ironic that the God happy is the one who does this. Because as humans, one thing that we seek more than anything is happiness. Oh, we love happiness. And happiness for us in humanity, happiness only happens when circumstances are good. Happiness is the result of external things being in enough order where life's good. You're on a beach. You get the picture for Instagram of your toes. Happiness. Your phone doesn't work. Happiness. You lose your phone. No happiness. Like we are a people who love happiness and just like the source of there at the Nile with happy, we seek it in all these other places. Happiness is of the world. It depends on circumstances. But what happens when circumstances begin to fall and fail? Well, happiness leaves. You see, happiness is fleeting. It's of the world. Joy is of the Lord. And joy is an internal resource of his spirit that can hold you firm when life is falling apart. Just like these Egyptian priests did While the world can conjure up some happiness for us, God's the one that provides joy even in the darkest circumstances. Don't seek happiness. Seek the Lord and his joy. The second strike on Pharaoh is an interesting one. Then the Lord said to Moses, go back to Pharaoh and announce to him. This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so they can worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs. Across the entire land, the Nile River will swarm with frogs. They'll come out of the river and into your palace and even into your bedroom and into your bed. Now that sentence alone, just imagine, imagine a frog in your bed when you wake up tomorrow. They'll even jump into your ovens and your kneading bowls. Frogs will jump on you, your people, your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, raise the staff of your head in the rivers, canals, and ponds of Egypt. And bring the frogs over all the land. So Aaron does this. He raises his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs covered up the whole land. But the priests, the magicians, were able to do the same thing. They too caused frogs to come up on the land. Now this is this is just terrible. This is disgusting. I, I love a good frog. I love I love frog legs. But this is a little low. Come on, this is a little much. A frog in the bed. Frogs plural. This would be unbelievable. This would be truly an unbelievable thing just to have frogs everywhere. But, but you have to stop. Remember, don't just take these things at face value. Have you ever stopped and wondered, God, why frogs? Like, what? Are, I get the Nile, but why frogs? You could have done anything, but Kermit, that's, I mean, like, I'm going to smite them with the frog. On the, well, on the very surface, the, the, the frog is the symbol of fertility. It's the symbol of the flooding of the Nile, and the irony is the Nile is now flooded with frogs. But beyond that, this strike is aimed specifically at their fertility goddess, Heket. Heket is a, had, the, had the body of a female with the head of a frog, and she's the wife of the creator god, Knum. In fact, as he would create people, she was the last one there, and she would breathe the breath of life into the people, the fertility goddess who breathed life into them. Heket is the goddess of success. She's the goddess of fertility and fruitfulness. I mean, if you want to pursue success at work, pray and pursue Heket. 
Pursue haket for fertility in your family. Pursue haket for fruitfulness in your life and the fullness. In fact, that's what they would do. They would light incense. They would sing songs. They would pray and they would seek haket to give them success at work or, or, or fertility in their, in their family. And it makes me wonder, where are we pursuing fruitfulness, fullness of life, and success apart from God? Now, you're probably not burning incense to Heket, but we are, where are we um, pursuing things other than God for fullness in our life, for fertility, for, for success, for fullness? Where am I, what am I seeking in the world that I'm supposed to find in God? God delivers a strike here at the goddess Heket, and it, it levels Highly, she was highly valued. She was trusted. And then Pharaoh begs him, please, take, please have him go away. And so we pick up, it says, So Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh's palace, and Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs that he had inflicted on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what he had predicted. The frogs in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields all died. The Egyptians piled them into great heaps, and a terrible stench filled the land. Guests, we want to just thank you again for being here. <laughs> we talk about the piles of frogs. Um, but when Pharaoh saw when Pharaoh saw that relief had come, he became stubborn. He refused to listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord predicted. Now, Mo, Pharaoh, unfortunately, is much like us in some ways, in this way, in particular. He heeds God and says, "Oh, oh Moses, please help me when he needs when things are going bad." But as soon as things return to normal, he stops heeding God. As a pastor, I see this often in, in, in many people and in myself. When crisis hits our lives, oh, we seek God with fervor. We pray, we pursue, we dive into our faith. But when the crisis passes, we relent and kind of go back to normal. This is a cycle that we can find ourselves in. We're going to see this cycle alive in the children of Israel all through Exodus. In Pharaoh, we're going to see it in him throughout these these plagues, these strikes. Plague three, round three. So the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, raise your staff and strike the ground. And the dust will turn into swarms of gnats throughout the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did just as he commanded. When Aaron raised his hand and struck the ground with a staff, gnats infested the land, covering Egypt and the animals. All the dust of Egypt turned into gnats. Pharaoh's priests tried to do the same thing with their secret arts, but this time they failed. The gnats covered everyone, people and animals alike. We see something new on this one. The priests could not do it. They couldn't copy it. In fact, they say in the text, they tell Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Like, beware. This, there's something up here that we can't do. This is the finger of God. They're humiliated. They can't compete any longer. This is also the last time that Moses will need Aaron to speak for him or act for him. For some reason, all the insecurities that Moses had that he brought into this, that he, at the burning bush, he was pleading with God for, for other things. Uh, God sent Aaron there. For something happened here, and by this plague, after this point, Moses is the one who speaks. Moses is the one who acts. He has seen God come through. Now, the dust turns into gnats. And I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm born here in Redstone. I'm a, I'm a local kid. And gnats aren't really something we deal with that much here. But I spent uh, 10 to 15 years in Georgia. And there's, a, there's something in Georgia, if you've never been down there, it's called the gnat line. And uh, it's exactly what you think it is. For some reason, there's just a line of gnats waiting at a certain temperature and humidity. And I would go down there for about a week or two every summer to be with some people. And so I would go down to South Georgia. I would cross that gnat line. And if you walk out, listen, to walk outside in South Georgia is to be wet. 
the humidity is 300%. The, 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 I mean, the temperature is ungodly. You walk outside and you just start pouring water and you're trying to play basketball, try, just trying to act normal or just standing and gnats will start buzzing. And, and what do gnats do? They don't sting you. They just stick to you. So as you go about your day and you're just soaking wet, you know, you're doing this throughout the day, as you're just going about your life below the gnat line, gnats are everywhere. Everywhere. So while Georgia gnats are ungodly, in Egypt, they had a god for it. That's right. The Egyptian god Geb was in charge of the dust and the earth. Here's a a picture of Geb. He was the god of the earth. And what we see here is Yahweh is greater than the Egyptian god who provides for his people in the earth. Yahweh is greater than, and far more powerful than the Egyptian God of the earth. Round four. Then the Lord told Moses, get up early in the morning and stand in Pharaoh's way as he goes down to the river. Good morning, Pharaoh. <laughs> Pharaoh probably hates him. This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so they can go worship me. If you refuse, I'm going to send a swarm of flies over you and your officials and your people and all your houses. The Egyptian homes will be filled with flies and the ground covered by them. But this time, this time, however, I will spare the land of Goshen where my people live. No flies will be found there. Then you will know, you will know that I am Yahweh. And I am present, Pharaoh, even here in your land with your gods. I am here. I'll make a clear distinction, a clear distinction between my people and your people, Pharaoh, who you protect. God is drawing a line here. And it says in verse 24, And the Lord did just as he had said. A thick swarm of flies filled Pharaoh's palace and the houses of his officials. The whole land of Egypt was thrown into chaos by the flies. That's an important sentence. One thing I want to let you know that's going on here. Pharaoh is a god king. It is up to him to do the right thing to keep the gods happy. Now, he is a god himself. But one thing Pharaoh does, and one thing that people need him for, is to keep order and the Egyptians had a word for it. It's called mat. If I say mat, that's your Egyptian lesson today, mat. Pharaoh's in charge, charge of keeping mat. And as long as, as Pharaoh does the right things, um, then the fertility god, our, our babies will be safe. As long as he does the right things, the Nile wolf, he's in charge of keeping order. And so do you see how each one of these plagues, what is it bringing with it? Chaos. Flies everywhere. Frogs everywhere. Mat gone. So this is not only a sniper shot of each of these gods of the pantheon, it is a shot at Pharaoh as the god king who we all look to to keep order. And it says here, the whole land of Egypt was thrown into chaos. Mot has exited the nation. Pharaoh and his people and the lands covered, yet Goshen and God's people, the slaves and no flies. Kepri is the Egyptian god with the head of a fly. Kepri, the god of the morning sun, who would create new things every morning. Kepri, defeated by Yahweh, no new things being created as flies are drawn to rank and old. The message is clear here. Yahweh is above the gods and goddesses of Egypt and able to break the mat, the order of the god Pharaoh. Now, something interesting here about the plague of gnats and flies, and of another one we'll see here in the future... The Egyptian priests, they would shave their body every other day to stay ceremonially clean. Like they would, everything, they were completely shaven. Now when the gnats and the flies infected them, and these were stinging flies, many uh, scholars believe through the text, um, they are covered in gnats, covered in stings, covered in flies. This, these two plagues would have made them ritually 
religiously unclean, which means that the religious practices of the Egyptians would have ceased. The sacrifices, all the acts, all the things, could that be perhaps be one of the reasons why they could not duplicate these? Because they, they, they can't even do what they need to do. They can't do anything. They're saying, Pharaoh, this God, Yahweh, has brought our entire religious practice to a halt. We can't do our sacrifices. We can't do our duties. Yet, yet Pharaoh would still not let the Hebrews go. Round five. God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and say this. If you continue to hold them and refuse to let them go, the hand of the Lord will now strike your livestock, horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep, and goats with a plague. But the Lord will again make a distinction between the livestock of the Israelites and the Egyptians, and not a single one of Israel's animals will die. Another, another distinction between God's people. Now, this, this is aimed at Hathor, the Egyptian goddess of love and protection. Usually, this Egyptian goddess is depicted with the head of livestock. And this, we have to see this plague would have created a huge economic trouble for them, disaster. Of course, food is affected, right? Sheep and goats and those things. But all livestock, imagine what else comes to a stop as donkeys and horses and camels and cattle, sheep and goats, all passing, not just food, but transportation. This is a plague of every car stopping to work at the same time. Transportation stops, taking anything from one place to another. Farming stops, economic goods that were produced from livestock, everything stops. This would have been devastating. Yet Pharaoh's heart remains hard and his faith remains in himself and the gods and goddesses of his nation. Round six, this is a tough one. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from a brick kiln and have Moses toss it into the air while Pharaoh watches. The ashes will spread like fine dust over the land, causing festering boils to break out on people and animals. So they took soot from a kiln and went and stood before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh watched as Moses threw the soot in the air. You can imagine Pharaoh like, what's it gonna be this time? Oh, he's got a handful of soot. He's throwing it in the air. You know, what's going to happen? And boils broke out on humans and animals. The magicians, the priests were unable to stand. They, they couldn't copy it. They couldn't even stand before Moses. They're so unclean. They've broken out upon them. The Egyptian priests, once again, are, are rendered ceremonially religiously unclean. Worship stops. They can't stand before their own gods. They can't even stand before Moses. Now, Isis is a major Egyptian goddess of medicine and magic. Isis is the divine mother of Pharaoh. She's the wife of the mighty Osiris. She's pictured here on Ramsey's tomb with her wings unfolded. She's often pictured that way, protecting and covering the people or the Pharaohs especially. Healing, the, god of, the goddess of healing, the goddess of, of magic. You would, if you were sick, you would, you would go offer to her, to Isis, please heal my child, please heal my family. Also, there's a god, Sekhmet. Sekhmet means the one who loves order and the one who's powerful. And she was the goddess who, was, who could control plagues and diseases, and she could cure them. She's the patron goddess of physicians and, and healers. In ancient Egypt, um, for Isis and Sekhmet, if, there was, if you had an illness in your family, well, you would go and offer offerings and prayers to these goddesses and plead with them to heal. And Yahweh shows that Sekhmet is no match, and even the mighty Isis cannot heal what Yahweh inflicts. Round seven. So Moses lifted his staff toward the sky, and the Lord sent thunder and hail. Lightning flashed toward the earth. The Lord sent a tremendous hailstorm against the land of Egypt. Never in all the history of Egypt had there been a storm like that with such devastating hail and continuous lightning. 
It left all of Egypt in ruins, and the hail struck down everything in the open field. People and animal and plants alike, the trees were destroyed, and the only place without hail was the region of Goshen where the people of Israel lived. You know, I spent um, two summers in Texas traveling around all of Texas recruiting for our university, and I was at Six Flags over Texas when a hailstorm hit. Not a, not a little Rocky Mountain hailstorm, Texas hail, y'all. Y'all ever seen Texas hail? I, I had never seen it like this. Everyone ran. Everyone ran and took cover. And I'll never forget there was this one late elementary school, maybe middle school boy, who got caught out in it and he got hit and fell. He was laying out there. And we had to run out there and grab him and, and, and bring him to rescue. And you guys, Texas hail ain't got nothing on this Egyptian hail that God brings. I mean, it is, it is just terrifying. It's humans, beasts, and field. God is showing Pharaoh that your power and the power of your gods and priests that you have is nothing because this targets the Egyptian god, Nut, the god of the sky, and the storm god, Set, and Shu, the god of the atmosphere. All these gods and goddesses who, who are part of the weather that they would pray to when, when they need rain or they need heat or whatever it would be. And there's actually a myth from the old kingdom of Egypt that talks about how the god Shu and another god got in a terrible fight. And they tell this myth because that's the way they described a terrible, terrible uh, weather disaster that struck the nation. What's interesting here is that the hail would have destroyed the, the crops of flax and barley. Those were the crops ripening in the field. And one author says, these two particular crops were not the mainstay of their diet. This wasn't for eating, this was for libations and clothing. So while it would have made them uncomfortable, it wouldn't have rendered them completely without food supply. So even still, God is giving mercy. That would affect those crops, but not completely destroy everything. Now, God is showing that he is the God who controls weather. All these other gods and goddesses struck down. Pharaoh would not relent. He would not bow before Yahweh. So Moses goes back to Pharaoh and tells him, this is what the Lord, the God of Hebrews says, how long will you refuse to submit to me? Let my people go so they can worship me. If you refuse, watch out for tomorrow. I'll bring a swarm of locusts upon your country. They'll cover your land. You won't even be able to see the ground. And they'll devour what little is left that the hail didn't take care of, including the trees growing in the fields. They'll overrun your palace and the homes of your officials in Egypt. Never in the history of Egypt have your ancestors seen a plague like this one. And with that, Moses turned and left Pharaoh. Hordes of locusts come in and just annihilate the remaining wheat shoots and all the, thing, the crops that hadn't been taken by the hail. Nepur, the god of harvest, and his sister goddess, Nepet, these two gods and goddesses guarded the crops. They protected the crops the shoots and the tender saplings and the seeds, they, they protected it. And whatever the hail left, the locusts just devoured. You have to see here that Egypt is devastated, yet Pharaoh does not relent. Livestock decimated, current harvest destroyed, future harvest annihilated. This is a mighty blow to the national security and the future of Egypt. Now remember, Pharaoh's in charge. What's he in charge of? Keeping mat. He's in charge of keeping order. And all you have to do if you're an Egyptian is look outside and see there is no order. Where's Pharaoh? Where's Isis? Where's Osiris? Where are our gods? This man has come in with a shepherd's staff and a shepherd's cloak. And Yahweh, his God, is one after another, after another, after another, knocking down Everyone we've been praying to and hoping in. 
Where is the order? Where is the mot? Where is our mighty Pharaoh to protect our, our crops, our livestock, our lives? Yahweh is showing himself. Power of the Egyptian gods. Power of the Egyptian goddesses. And an authority far beyond that of Pharaoh. The Egyptian pantheon defeated in every round at every level. There were two Egyptian deities left. And round nine, plague nine, targets one of them specifically. Then the Lord said to Moses, lift your hand toward the heaven and the land of Egypt will be covered with darkness so thick you can feel it. So Moses lifted his hand to the sky and a deep darkness covered the entire land of Egypt for three days. During all that time, the people could not see each other and no one moved. But there was light as usual where the people of Israel lived. Let there be darkness. I mean, that is the direct and opposite to the creation, let there be light. And you may have, you've probably heard of this next God about who this one is aimed at. This is aimed at the God Ra, the sun God. The sun God above all things, a daily, constant, consistent God who always appears, who always comes through. There is nothing so consistent as a sunrise and a sunset. There is nothing so orderly, so mat as a sunrise. It's always there. It always happens. This is divine order. Ra was established. He, he was the king of it. He was the greatest of the gods when it came to Egyptian power. He was constant. He was unrelenting. I mean, could even Pharaoh stop the sun from rising? I don't know. Ra is above all. The sun, the most worshipped god in Egypt, other than Pharaoh himself, stopped giving light for three days. The Lord showed he had control over the sun and as a witness that God of the Israel had ultimate power over Ra himself. The sun always rises. The sun always sets. At least Ra is always there until Moses declares that Yahweh is going to have it be dark for three days. And even the mighty Ra is showed to be powerless compared to the power of Yahweh. Pharaoh is beyond defeated, but he is angry. He is prideful. Listen to what he tells Moses. Get out of here! Pharaoh shouted at Moses, I'm warning you, never come back to see me again. The day I see your face, you will die. Very well, Moses replied, I will never see your face again. And with that, he leaves. There's one final plague strike left, and the tenth is aimed at the one remaining deity in Egypt, and that one we will look at next week. It has three chapters toward it. But for now, I want to look and see what does this have to do with us? Like, what does this have to do with me and my life here all this time later? Firstly, we see that God is coming to the rescue of his children. You see that? God is coming to deliver and rescue his people. They have been in torment. They have been in circumstances that have been terrible, that have threatened them. And God, he rescues them. And I want to let you know that God still does this. And there are many of you that God is moving on your behalf to provide for you, to pull you out of the places you have been, to bring you into a new land, a new season. The other major theme here is that God is revealing himself and his nature to his people. Do you see that? Time after time again, God is revealing his nature to his people. They've left their belief in them. They've wandered, but he didn't leave them. He didn't leave them there. He's not only rescuing them, as it said seven times in the plagues, you will know me. You will know Yahweh by what happens. I'm going to move in power and reveal myself to you. And did you know he's revealing himself to his people? Even now, back then and now, revealing himself to his people so they can trust him and follow him, have faith in him. And our God still does that to this day, not through locusts and hail, 
But his ultimate act, his ultimate, his ultimate reaching out and touching his sign was to send Jesus, his son, to reveal his nature of love, to reveal his grace. God wants to reveal himself to you in your daily life, and he's going to do that by showing himself in your circumstances. He's going to reveal himself as, through other people as, as they talk to you or, or as, they, as things happen. You're going to see God's nature revealed through other people. You can see God's nature revealed through his creation, through his church. I remember I was once, um, this, this was my last church, meet with a man who was an atheist. And we sat down and he goes, can you prove to me that there's a God? I said, no. Not in the way you want. I'm like, he goes, well, you're a, you're a pastor. Tell me something. Can you prove there's a God? I, I told him, I said, I'm going to let God prove himself to you. I said, I'm going to be praying, but the next couple weeks is before we meet, that, that God would reveal something and you, you would see that maybe... Maybe there could be a God. He's like, oh, okay. And he left my office. I was like, well, God, that was either really brilliant or terrible pastoring. I have no idea what. But I, pray, I prayed for him. God, reveal yourself to this man. Reveal yourself. He came back a few weeks later, and he wasn't an atheist. No, he wasn't a Christian. <laughs> he was an agnostic. He said, you know what? Okay. There's been enough things happened this week, last week, some conversations, some circumstances, and there's enough things happening. That I'm open to the fact that there may be a God, okay? There could be a God, but I do not believe it, it is sentient. Like, it's just a force. If there's a God, it's a force up there somewhere. And I said, well, okay, well, let's, let's, let's meet in a couple weeks. But until then, I'm praying that God reveals himself and that you know that it is God and he's sentient. I'm going to be praying that he reveal himself. And so, he, okay. So, again, all week praying, God, please reveal yourself to this gentleman as he's going about his life. The next time we met, he goes, okay, I, I, you got something. I don't believe in Jesus or that stuff, but I do believe after some things this week and last week that um, whatever it is up there is sentient because it just seems like there's, there was just too much. It's, it's sentient. So I talked some more, and I said, okay, well, I'm going to you know what, let's meet again. I said, this time I'm going to be praying that you find that this is a personal God, that it is a he, and that he loves you. That isn't just some sentient force. This is a personal God who loves you and has arranged all this for your soul, for your life. You know, we, we met time and time again, and through that process, this gentleman came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior and was baptized. And here's the deal. I didn't do it. I didn't convince him. I would, he would leave my office every time. I'm like, God, you've got to come through. You've got to reveal yourself at every step. Here's the deal. Each time we come into contact with somebody, we're revealing God. We were saying, God, this is in your hands, and God still does this. If, if you're, let me say it this way. If you're here today or listening with us, and you're unsure if God is real or this God is real or if Jesus is real, I'm praying for you this week. I'm praying for you specifically that God would reveal himself so that you would know who he is, that you would know his nature, that you would know him personally, that you would know that he wants to give you forgiveness and love and grace. I, I, I pray that you would get to know this God who doesn't stand there with a frown at you, like looking at your sin going, oh, you again. Oh. He stands with a, with, with, with a smile, with open arms welcoming you home. And here's the deal. No matter how far you've wandered, no matter how far you've gone, God always invites you home in Jesus. I pray you become to know this God again, that, that, that maybe you have wandered so far, you have lost yourself and him, but he has not forgotten you. And he calls you back. He wants to give you new life. 
This is the God who gives you forgiveness in your past and peace and power in your present and hope for your future. You see, God, back then in, this, in, in Exodus, he did it through locusts and all these big signs and wonders, but now he does it through love and grace. And there's something else. There in Exodus, God saw the oppression, he saw the injustice, he saw the evil, and with a mighty hand, he, he, he powerfully, I'm gonna use the word smite, I haven't used that in church in a long time. With a mighty hand, he smite, smited, what's the past? Smitten, smited it in? <laughs> with a mighty hand, God, man, man, he struck Pharaoh because of the injustice and the evil. Here's the thing. He didn't do that for you because of the evil and the sin and the injustice. His son was struck and took it all so you don't have to. Took it all. There's no condemnation left for you. Jesus took it all. Everything. God revealed himself through Jesus, but there's one last piece, and this is where we're involved. There are people in your life who do not know this God or this Jesus. And you've been praying for God to reveal himself to them. Continue and pray personally. God, you've revealed yourself to people in the Bible. Reveal yourself to my friend, my family, my spouse, my son. But this is the next part of it. We partner with this. Jesus made it very clear that we are to go out of this room and go into our, our work, our neighborhood, our region, and the world and reveal God by how we speak and how we act. Orchard, you have a part in this. God wants to reveal himself to the people of this region and wherever you are, and you have a part of it. When you speak, you get to reveal God. Well, the way you act in grace and giving and love and forgiveness, you reveal God's nature. We are a part of this. So let's not leave it in here. We have a God who reveals himself, and he's gonna use you to do it. Father, I pray a prayer of blessing. Because we have a part of this, I pray you give boldness to us that when we go forth, we see we are a part of the revelation of revealing Jesus to a world who needs grace and forgiveness and peace and power. So may our words and may our actions and our love and our giving and our compassion, may it reveal your nature to a world that needs it. And God, I pray that through the orchard, through our lives, I pray you make yourself known. I pray the name of Jesus be famous in this region. I pray, God, that people would come to know you, that you reveal yourself. Amen. As we go into um, communion and you get ready to take it, I would encourage you, hold it in your hands, hold the bread in your hands and break it as Jesus' body was broken and take a minute and take a minute and say, God, what do I need to ask forgiveness for? And just have a moment of confession. Thank Jesus for his sacrifice. Take and eat. Thank him for his blood sacrifice drink. And then Orchard, let us stand and worship in gratitude to God who reveals himself to us. Amen.